Listener discretion, we will be delving into some sensitive subject matter as we discuss mental health treatments. Make sure you're in the right headspace listening to this, and if you or someone you know is suffering from a mental health crisis, please refer to the show notes for resources or look up what resources are available to you locally. If you want, you can also skip to the end of the episode to hear those resources for yourself. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Tired and Thriving, a podcast recognizing just how tired and exhausted we all are while discussing ways to still thrive. I'm your host, Samantha Gray, and this week's guest is Allison Morse. Allison is an advocate for destigmatizing mental health treatment and does creative writing and photography on our downtime. Thank you so much for being with me, Allison. Thank you. <laughs> um, so can you start by telling me why you feel so passionately to talk about this subject of destigmatizing mental health treatment? That's a big question. With hopefully um, a big answer. <laughs> uh, well, you know, a lot of people I know struggle with mental health problems. And I've struggled with mental health problems since I was a little kid. Uh huh. <laughs> Sam is pushing the microphone towards me. <laughs> I will speak louder. Um, and it's something that, even to this day, as an adult and someone that is very honest and open and caring about this subject, I think there is still a lot of judgment around it. And really, the best thing for all of us and the entire world is to not treat it like it isn't a, you know, a medical issue or something that people need assistance with or that when people do accept treatment or ask for help that we don't, you know, look at them weird, think poorly of them, um, etc. I'm a bad public speaker. I apologize. But... It's all good. Uh, so what has mental health treatment done for you specifically? Um, since I was, when I was a little kid, I had panic attacks really badly. I was agoraphobic. I couldn't leave my house. It was really difficult for me to go to school and getting put into therapy and on medication when I was really young, um, really helped with that. Um, I used to not be able to stay the night in anybody's house. Um, it really affected how I socialized with people. And that was a really big thing for me to be able to transition to that type of socializing. Uh, that kind of ironically happened right around when I became a teenager, <laughs> mm. which is when kids don't want to be around their parents anyway. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Um, but that was huge. That was a really huge thing for me. And I've been in therapy my entire life. I stopped for a little bit when, you know, when I was like 16 to 19, uh, because I was like, I can do this. I don't need anybody. I don't mm. need any help. And, uh, I did. <laughs> And I love therapy. I recommend it to everyone. I know it is a privilege. It is so difficult for people to find therapists that 
they can trust therapists that are the right fit for them and then are you know we all know in this country how incredibly difficult it is to pay for medical care um every state is different in california most therapists do not accept insurance you get a super bill at the end and then you have to send that to your insurance and if your insurance company has um you know mental health services included in it then they'll give you like a percentage back uh that was not the case in like minnesota and illinois you would you would just use your insurance and pay a copay etc but obviously a lot of people also don't have access to insurance um and sometimes it's really difficult for people to understand what the medical insurance that they have how that like how mental health and behavioral health subjects are covered underneath that healthcare because they don't always explain it very well so Anyway, I have also had to use it to, you know, find medications that were right for me or use it to deal with very traumatic events and to be safe when necessary. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, So what would you say are like, mental health treatments or what are the varieties that you know of that I know of yeah um there's a lot of different types of talk therapy um cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is what a lot of people think of um there's also DBT uh dialectical behavioral therapy and I mean you name it like a lot of talk therapy can go into specific phobias and you know traumas there's treatment for you know victims of assault or sexual assault and another thing that's really huge and can often be a better resource for people who are having a hard time either finding an individual therapist or they can't afford an individual therapist is group therapy Um, it's usually cheaper because it's like they're spreading out the cost among the different people in the group. Um, And it's also a really good introduction because you can see how other people talk about their issues and it might make you feel more comfortable if you're not really used to talking about a lot of stuff. And it's kind of a good way to ease into it. Um, It's also, of course, incredibly helpful to hear that you're not the only person dealing with a specific problem um, or feeling a certain way. So that's amazing as well. But there's, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists, and there's medication that people can put you on. As we all know, we're all very familiar with like, what is it, the Zoloft guy, the the little sad ball on the commercial that used to jump up and down and cry in the rain. I do not remember <laughs> this commercial. <laughs> I think it was Zoloft. Um, what was this a commercial like recently or? I think it was in the 2000s, maybe. Okay. Um, but it looked like a sad karaoke song. Like, he would, like he looked like he could have bounced over the words of, like, you need medication. Like, <laughs> take, some, take some Xanax or Zoloft or something. But he was actually kind of cute. He's kind of famous, I guess, <laughs> for, some, for some of us. Um, and then, I mean, people may not 
I mean, some people may not realize it, but there's all kinds of treatment that is technically, you know, mental health treatment. There's like treatment with horses, you know, dealing with animals and so that people, it like lowers stress and they sometimes for some people it can help them start socializing with other people or having empathy for animals and people, things like that. Um, art therapy. Uh, we all know a thing about that because I think most of us have a creative outlet and um, they actually have art therapy in a lot of hospitals uh, or outpatient programs so that one's always been really important people will color in coloring pages or mm -hmm. draw something um, can you explain to me what outpatient programs are sure so there's Different programs at hospital, like a, generally a hospital will have a, in some places it's called a behavioral health uh, unit or program or behavioral health services. I think that that's kind of an outdated, strange thing to call it um, because it, it means that you're not acting correctly and you need to be kind of made to be normal. Mm -hmm. um, that's what it was called when I was growing up. I think a lot of hospitals still call it that. But basically, many of them will have an inpatient treatment program and an outpatient treatment program. Honestly, similar to like how drug treatment centers have that. Mm. Um, and an inpatient will be at the hospital, sleep at the hospital, Generally, in those cases, it is not, um, you know, the doors are locked, basically. Like, you're in a ward. Um, you're checked in. It's, mm -hmm. you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, girl interrupted, that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. And then there are outpatient programs, which generally would be for the people transitioning out of the inpatient program. But sometimes people also come uh, to do that that have never done the inpatient. But it's... It can be anywhere from like six to nine hours a day. Um, With the outpatient? Yes. So it's, well, there's intensive outpatient, which is generally what a lot of hospitals have. And then there could be outpatient programs that may cater to people that like can only go three days a week for four hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, but I mean... Here's how it's really difficult for people because if you have a job, how are you supposed to go take three days out of the week? It's not on the weekends generally because the doctors are like, it's the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, um, we did our nine to five. Yeah, they're the like, <laughs> we were here Monday through Friday, so you should be too. And, you know, not only can most people not afford to skip work, but you're also having to pay for this treatment. And oh, it's wow. it's pretty, you know, it's pretty difficult. Um, and again, each state is different with how mm -hmm. people are able to access that. But yeah, I mean, some of them might be specialized to deal with a certain, you know, thing. Like, you know, a lot of times mental health patients will all get put together, uh, even though they're suffering or dealing with a very different I don't want to say disease because that doesn't sound right to me but you know a different diagnosis yeah 
Um, so, you know, you'll have schizophrenic and, you know, like chronically major depressive disorder patients, you know, mixed with people with bipolar disorder or, you know, multiple personality disorder or just like extreme phobia for something. And oftentimes people that have you know, PTSD and trauma are also kind of amongst other mental health patients, even though, you know, there are, there are programs that are specific to each of those things, but generally at a hospital, you're all going to kind of be lumped in together, (laughs) thrown together. Yeah. (laughs) Which is not always a bad thing. It's just, you know, sometimes there's a very specific track that might be better for, you know, especially meeting someone that's similar to you and learning how to cope with that specific, you know, diagnosis Yeah. in that way. I don't know. So if you're in an outpatient program, would you have to come from an inpatient program? Not necessarily. Um, I did an outpatient program that was not connected to being an inpatient. But some hospitals they might just not have room. So recently when I was in the hospital, I was an inpatient and I was looking for an outpatient program to go to afterwards. Um, I was on, I was uninsured at the time that I was in the hospital. So I was on, I mean, I considered myself to be uninsured, but I had recently just got added to Medi-Cal, which in California is the uh, service, insurance service that people that are under a certain income level or have been uninsured or unemployed can get access to. So the hospital accepted Medi-Cal for inpatient because they consider it an emergency service, Mm -hmm. but they did not cover outpatient treatment. And so I was not able to do that. However, I learned that even if I was able to do it, there may have been a very long wait list to get into it. Oh, wow. Um, Which obviously does not help people that are just coming out of something that's generally pretty big. Something's going on in their life or they're having a crisis. So it really depends. Um, It sounded like at that hospital specifically, they really had to prioritize like people coming out of those inpatient programs to put them there first. And then the outpatient would have a wait list for both people that had left the hospital and people that had never even come to the hospital that wanted to be a part of the outpatient program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so I uh, want to go back to how you talked about um, movies like uh, Girl Interrupted and... Um, I, I, I feel like I'm going to say it wrong. The one flew over the cuckoo's neck. Uh-huh. That's correct. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, but I know those are based off the 60s, like both of them, mm-hmm. right? But how does it feel, like, what's different? It, like, does it feel different now versus, like, what we see in the movies? Or is it even, because I also feel like there's this element where they kind of make it a little bit like off and scary too. Um, <laughs> it, it is a little off and scary. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I would imagine in the 60s even more so. <laughs> um, 
to be honest, you know, of course there's like dramatization and they're putting together certain character, you know, like, um, which is realistic because as I said, they kind of throw everybody in there. Um, but I do actually believe most of the, most of the ways in which they described those two facilities, um, they can be pretty scary places. They can be pretty, you know, they could be abusive places. Mm. You know, you're, you, it's really like you're in a type of jail. You know, a lot of people feel like they're prisoners in there um, because a lot of people don't voluntarily put themselves in that place. That's, it can be mandated either by a judge or by a doctor um, and they can, you know, put you in there forcibly. So, Things are supposed to be a lot safer now and a lot, you know, they have a lot of rules about how they're supposed to, if they're going to put somebody in like a padded room or if they're going to tie somebody up because they do do that. Oh, wow. And, you know, I've never, well, actually I have seen a straight jacket. I've seen one straight jacket. Really? Um, but generally speaking... I think you could almost compare it to the prison system where we know what is, you know, a basic human right and like how places are supposed to be treating people. But obviously we can see in this country that that is not always how they're treating people. And a lot of people get away with that kind of stuff. Um, I've been an inpatient at four different places. Three of them were hospitals. One of them was not. Um, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. It's like, it's a privatized system where they can put people and quote unquote, treat them for things. Wow. Um, and all of them were very different. Mm -hmm. Um, this most recent one was actually fantastic. It blew my mind and it actually made me pretty sad because... I was like, this is, I know for a fact, this is not how the majority of the treatment centers are in this country. Yeah. Um, I was so happy to see one that was functioning that way. And they were so caring about their patients. They basically had a team of people uh, assigned to each person. And there were actually three different wards so that the patients that were in each ward were better suited to be with the people that they were around oh, wow. which is really amazing mm -hmm. and they had three different floors as well each floor had three units one was for children and adolescents the second one was just general adults and then the third one was actually like a senior floor even though i thought it was hilarious they considered it like 55 and up <laughs> <laughs> but i guess it was just a kind you know i mean i guess they just separated them that way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, there was one, the one that was not a hospital was kind of insane. It, it did remind me of those movies, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, they had us lining up against walls and, like, turned with our nose to the walls. We had to kind of follow orders, like almost like we were in, like, the military or something. Yeah. Um, they had a lot of really backwards rules. Uh, boys could have seconds for food, and girls were not allowed that. 
You Ugh. had to get permission from your doctor if you wanted to have seconds. It, it's, it was insane. My face was, is like scrunched up in pain right now. <laughs> it was it was insane. And then in order, yeah, we used to in order to get our uh, medications, we would you know come downstairs, line up, and then they had like this little box you had to go stand on, <laughs> and, and get your medication from this window. And they because you know a lot of places are afraid of people. Uh, they either call it cheeking or tonguing your medication. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask that. I was like, I, oh, did anybody do that? <laughs> like, uh, people still find ways to do it. But at this place, this was insane. And I've actually talked to other doctors about it. And they're like, what? Oh, God. <laughs> Is they would, well, they would crush up your pills. And they would, you had a choice of eating it either with applesauce or with dry Kool-Aid. Which, which, as you can imagine, is like trying to eat cinnamon. It's so, it was so odd. And I always picked applesauce because the first time I tried Kool-Aid, um, <laughs> I almost choked. Um, so anyway, yes, that place was very, very odd. But that one was kind of the most, you know, like something like Girl Interrupted. Um, yeah. Where they've always got... I like how they've always got a team of characters, like, getting up to some hijinks, you know, Mm -hmm. like, going to read their files and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Girl Interrupted specifically was, like, a really important movie to me when I was growing up because I had already been an inpatient by the time I saw that movie, you know, when I was probably, like, a teenager. And, I mean, we all loved all of those actors anyway, to begin with. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I mean, I just re-saw the movie recently, and just seeing, like, because, you know, Angelina Jolie right now is just doing mainstream stuff, mm-hmm. so it's like seeing her in just such a raw uh, raw role, and obviously Brittany Murphy, rest in peace, mm-hmm. uh, amazing, and then, uh, look, Winona Ryder, I mean. And I don't know if you noticed, but, Elizabeth Moss oh, is yeah. in that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is very odd. And is it Jared Leto who's like her boyfriend? <laughs> and that threw me off. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, like... I forgot. You used to be kind of normal in in things. <laughs> yeah, when he was still trying to make it, I guess. <laughs> like, when he was he still kind of hiding. Good movies, and then I don't know what. Then he went into Thirty Seconds. Tomorrow, or whatever, <laughs> whatever that phase was. I yeah. guess that phase is still happening, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Wait, what's what's her name? Uh, God, I, I love her. Um, Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg. Wow. Yes, yes, she works at the treatment center, and uh, there's a scene where she has to um, supervise Winona Ryder. Taking a bath because she wants to shave her legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they wouldn't even give you a razor now. Um, mm. But you do, it is, it's odd. You you do have a lot of things taken away from you. I mean, it's like the, it's like the um, cliche of, oh, you gotta, they take your shoelaces, mm. which I think they do in prison as, <laughs> as well. So you don't, it's so you don't hang yourself or choke somebody or, you know, stuff like that. Um 
but yeah, when I was in the the non hospital, they we could have like those electric razors. Oh yeah, but With the circular like yeah, because mm-hmm. because you couldn't like just you know cut your neck or something yeah. with it. They're like it's hair only, and you still had to be supervised. It yeah, was, it was funny. So people were like shaving their legs in the hallway, just sitting like against the wall. <laughs> It was kind of a bonding time, actually. Aw, that's nice. Uh, Okay, so in both those movies, too, it was very obviously, like, um, flying over the cuckoo's nest was, like, the men ward, Mm -hmm. and then Girl Interrupted is the women's ward. Mm -hmm. Was that, is that a thing still? Um, I think it might depend on the place. Mm -hmm. Uh. I believe that most, like, adult units are just... Co-ed. Um, it's just co-ed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but when I was a kid... Let's see. I mean, some behavioral health units are just both as well. But the non-hospital that I was in was separated by gender. Um, mm-hmm. And... That was one of the reasons in which we had to turn around when another gender was being walked by us. Oh, God. Uh, but then they had us all in the lunchroom at the same time. So I don't really know what the point of any was. <laughs> I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I, I think nowadays it's probably normal to just have everything co-ed. Yeah. Um, as well as, uh, I feel like also talking about the difference between the sixties compared to now, um, there used to be specific buildings and hospitals specifically for, um, Mm -hmm. I guess it's like the psych ward, Mm -hmm. but they don't have it now. Now it's just attached to the hospitals. Yeah. Generally, it's just a floor, like, you know, it's just like any other thing, like an ICU or a, you know, like a cancer ward or something like that. It's generally just a ward in a hospital, um, but it's, you know, locked. Like it has security measures and stuff like that. Um, they usually have to like buzz you in with a key fob five times <laughs> mm. to get to something. But there may very well be places that are you know, specific to that, but that does, to my understanding, seem like an older, you know, they wanted to separate those people because they thought they were crazy and probably a danger to everybody. Yeah. Um, or just annoying. I don't know. They (laughs) they probably found us all annoying. Well, we were, I mean, not that I've like been in, but, um, I just feel like Whenever people are considered weird, mm-hmm. that's when they're like, get them away. <laughs> Just get them out of here. Sometimes I wish they'd do that to me right now. I'd oh. love to be away from other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of, I mean, it's not funny because they did some pretty horrific things. But it's funny to me that they're like, oh, this is just like the t- people with tuberculosis. Let's go put them in a building over here. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So you've been in inpatient programs four times. More than four times, but at four different places. Four different places. Yes. Okay. Um, but how many of those times did you yourself admit yourself? Or has it all been, like, I guess, in, involuntary. Yeah, involuntary. Mm-hmm. Um, as an adolescent, so basically under the age of 18, all of those were not my decision mm-hmm. be- because I was not an adult anyway. So those decisions were being made for me. And as an adult, I have been twice, and both of those were voluntary. So... I decided that I needed help mm. both those times. Um, generally, what you have to do is you have to go to an emergency room and, you know, you speak to a doctor. A lot of times it's because people are suicidal. And so then they will speak to you to determine if they believe that that is accurate, <laughs> mm. um, which sometimes they don't. Sometimes they tell you to go home, which is kind of sad and scary, but they then will, if they agree with you or they say that that's accurate, they will put you on a 72 hour hold. And that means like you have to stay under supervision for at least 72 hours. But then if they think you need to stay longer, like they, they could make it involuntary. Like they could decide, no, you have to stay. And if you say, no, I'm leaving, they they will probably keep you. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, what you do is you sign paperwork saying, you you sign a contract basically saying, yep, I'm giving myself over to you until you think it's ready for me to, yeah, I'm ready to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really need to fix the system for how people can get into mental health treatment programs because... The ER has enough to deal with, to be completely frank, and they're generally really bad places for people that are having a mental health crisis to be. I mean, even when I'm not having a mental health crisis, an ER is so chaotic. Yeah. It's so loud. There's usually very scary things happening, and to no fault of the people working there, they have a lot to deal with. And you might be having a life or death situation as well, but they can't see it. Mm -hmm. And there is someone with their, you know, leg bleeding profusely and they need to tend to that, (laughs) which they should be able to do. And, you know, those are not psychiatrists and psychologists. They, you know, they have like one on staff for the ER But sometimes they have to call the person from another part of the hospital, um, you know, stuff like that. So it's really not centered around treating people that are having mental health crises. And there may be hospitals that have separate ERs for this. Like, that very well may be in the country. I've never seen that before. But I really hope that we start doing that, especially in bigger cities. Because, you know, there might be a town that's too small to have the funds to do something like that or they just don't have enough they don't have enough people having (laughs) crises Mm -hmm. um but we really need to have a separate entrance basically for people to be admitted yeah but i want to go back to what you just said like oh 
either like smaller towns or something wouldn't have people that have a crisis, uh, which is why I felt this was so important to have you on and talk about this Mm -hmm. is what if people don't even like know how to reach out or they, I feel like so many people don't even recognize Mm -hmm. that they're having a crisis. Totally. I mean, I have a unique perspective because I was put in therapy so young, but a lot of people never try therapy until they're an adult or, I mean, people didn't used to want to do it because they were like, a shrink? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'd be embarrassed to tell anybody about that. Um, I still think it's kind of weird when people call it a shrink (laughs) and people in my life say that and I'm like, okay, I mean... I don't know why I feel like that has a negative connotation to it. It probably doesn't anymore, but... But um, I've never heard anybody really call it a shrink. So it's just like an outdated term. (laughs) I agree. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have families that are not cool with... Mm -hmm even admitting that there's a mental health problem. Um, What's kind of ironic is generally speaking, those people also have mental health problems and may have even passed some, you know, some of that down to their kids or, or, you know, you've got a a grandma, a mom and a son that are like all probably suffer, not probably, but maybe suffering from the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to call it a generational thing because there have obviously been people that were advocating for this stuff in every generation, probably. But, you know, I think I see a lot of younger people start to go to their families or, and and they want to talk about this stuff. And some people's families have a really, really difficult time accepting it or thinking that it's real you know they act like people are overreacting or that they're buying into something or they the media is swaying them or something like that um i'm really happy to see now that in you know in a lot of shows and stuff that at the very end of the show they might say like if you or anyone you know is having problems and they put like the national suicide hotline there i think that's really really awesome that they do that um because it's a it's a thing that's nationwide and anybody can use it. They you can also text it. Oh, so wow. there's numbers that you can just text and you you're automatically speaking with someone. Yeah. Um, however, sometimes the the suicide hotline is so busy mm. that people have to wait, like they get put on hold and stuff like that. So even now we need more support for it, but. I'm really happy to see that that's happening. Um, Yeah, I think most places, I think most cities have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it should be a well-known fact that people can go and ask for help. And a lot of people don't even know about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that even, like, knowing how to... Um, commit yourself Mm -hmm. like I had no idea that 
that's how you do it. You go to an emergency room and let them know that you're having a mental health crisis Mm -hmm. and you can get help that way. Like, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, But the fact that it's, it's not even, you know, like, yeah, nobody talks about it. And like, um, and then the fact uh, I, I like that you talked about the hotlines mm-hmm. because I actually wanted to ask if that was something you've reached out to before or uh, if you've known anybody who's reached out to it and if it actually helps because I've, uh, you know, like, um, I've just never needed to use it or uh, I've even, it, it's like, because I've been in dark places before, but you're just like, I'm afraid to even use it. Mm-hmm. And Well, because it's like you don't even know what's going to happen. Is someone going to come for you? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, like, is it going to make you feel better? Is it going to make you feel worse? Um, yeah. I mean, I've definitely used it. I haven't used it in a really long time just because I have, you know, other resources. Like, I would generally contact my longtime therapist if I was having, like, a crisis or something. But, I yeah, I've used it as a teenager and I know a lot of people that have used it recently. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for some people they don't feel like it's helpful, but I mean, if they're still here, then I'm hoping that it had, you know, like a small part of it. I think a lot of times when you're having a mental health crisis, you, I don't want to say you need to be distracted because that sounds like, Oh, like, let's just forget about that. (laughs) And like, like, like let's, not tend to what you're thinking about or anything but you kind of you know for say for like a drug addict when they say like take it one day at a time Mm -hmm. you know like that's that's used in a lot of aa and na meetings and stuff like that um which is another form of therapy you can get (laughs) and they're free they're free if you ever need to if you're like i just need to be around people those things are happening everywhere all the time, usually in a basement <laughs> or a church. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like media always portrays it in a church. It's oftentimes because they're like, uh, they're allowing them to use that space. It's like they're, I don't think they're quote, renting that space. Maybe they are. Maybe they're getting paid. Probably not. But you would hope at a church. You would hope. <laughs> You would hope, but maybe they just bring the basket around and see. (laughs) Sorry, is that a Catholic thing? I don't know. That's what they used to do when I was a kid. Um, It was really funny. They had a basket that had a really long stick so that they could just push it all the way down the pew. And they're like, money. They like shove it in your face and like, no, I don't have any money. (laughs) You're like, I am a child. I'm a child and I am singing... Uh, row, row, row your boat when they're singing the songs because I can't read, okay? Why are you asking me for my allowance? Okay, what were we talking about? <laughs> okay, so um, AA meetings is a form of therapy. Oh, one, right, one, free. yeah, the one day at a time thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of times with, if something is really bad, you know, if you're in a crisis, you can't even think about doing the one day at a time thing. Mm-hmm. You need to kind of go like one minute at a time until you're able to get out of that space mm. or like go to sleep or something. Yeah. So that's kind of how those, you know, suicide hotlines and that kind of stuff can really help you because you, 
Again, I don't want to say you need to be snapped out of it because anytime anyone is like, you're going to be fine, like it's all going to be fine, calm down, or you're overreacting or any of that kind of stuff, obviously that does not snap, quote unquote, snap you out of it. (laughs) And that's not necessarily, you know, it's not the goal to not be upset, but you do need to get to a place that's stable so that you can make decisions, like yeah. actual decisions. Yeah. Um, I think all of us know that we shouldn't be making decisions when we're really upset about something. Like, everybody, you know? Like, if you're really... I don't... There's so many words that sound wrong when you're even referring to this kind of stuff, but if you're really emotional about something, whether that be sad, angry, you know, whatever... Um, it's not a good time to decide if you're going to, like, go purchase a car or something. (laughs) Like, like maybe wait. Maybe wait and you won't make decisions that are so, you know, impulsive. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, 100% those things can help. And I would highly recommend staying off the internet if you're (laughs) you're having a crisis, unless it is to go find one of those numbers. Um... I want to go back to, like, you just said this, but I like that you said, yeah, when you're sad or when you're not in a good headspace, those aren't the times to make, like, choices to big choices, like buying a car and stuff. (laughs) But I always find it interesting, you know, I mean, obviously, recently, we've been able to um, not have to do that. Or, like, the fact that uh because mental health is more talked about is like emotional awareness is more talked about which used to not be the case Mm -hmm. but how many times you hear because obviously like media will always hunker down on celebrities or like um uh or even if you hear like i guess like a mistake or I don't know, even if people in your life that you're just like, why did they make that decision? Um, like, so many decisions, even uh, TV shows, they like to use those kind of situations to cause drama. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy to think that um, you look back on these situations and you can't even really blame the person so much anymore as you're like, Oh, what state of mind were they in? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, do I see that a lot? Is that what you're asking? I guess I just wanted to, like, mention it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think anybody thinks about that. Uh, like... <laughs> okay, and this is probably an extreme example. And obviously people were talking about it. But, you know, you you actually do see it a lot with celebrities or famous people. I mean, yeah. first of all, because if a camera followed me around my whole life... I don't think anyone would hire me. (laughs) But, you know, like, Britney Spears. Yeah. She was definitely... I mean, when she shaved her head and and Mm -hmm. all that, you know, and people just, you know, they act like you're crazy and that's it. They're like, whoa, why are you acting that way? And it's like, could you, if you looked at her life and you looked at all these different things that were happening and, you know, she's overworked She's under the control of people in her family that are stealing her money. You know, she's probably been treated poorly or abused, you know, in this entertainment industry. Like, I'm making assumptions on some of that stuff, but it's like, 
give the person a break. Like, mm-hmm. there's usually a reason that this stuff is happening. And then to to make fun of that person or call that person names or it's like, how is that helpful? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, but I think about that stuff so much more now as an adult, because I remember, you know, finding some of that stuff as entertainment because that's what people would talk about. Mm-hmm. You'd look at it and be like, Whoa, what, what's that person doing? Why are they doing that? <laughs> Like, um, yeah. And now, like, I feel so, like, deeply for those people. Like, I'm not kidding. I, I thank whatever is out there every day that I am not a famous person that people were, like, watching grow up and, you know, transform and have these, like, horrible moments and learning from that and you know with that kind of stuff they don't care what happens later they just highlight those people like having these horrible moments because they're like it's funny or something like that yeah or it like gets them money they can profit off of it or yeah yeah. so oh so crazy what we're able to like dissect as an an adult (laughs) or like look back on um south park made a really good episode about how Britney Spears was treated. Oh, did they? Years ago. I don't oh, even yeah, know yeah, how yeah. long ago that was, but it was uh it's an amazing episode if you've never seen it. I mean, obviously there's still I haven't seen it in a long time. There's probably stuff in it that's not that's not good. <laughs> but <laughs> but I I like how every once in a while they actually make uh some really good points mm-hmm. poignantly. Um is there anything else about mental health treatment that I didn't mention or that you feel was important to know before we move on. Hmm. I mean, I think I would really just want to talk about people asking for help. I think it is crucial. Um, This kind of ties back to what we were saying earlier, but the last time that I asked for help, you know, this is something I'm very familiar with and that, you know, I've done more than once. So it was insane to me how hard it was to do. And I, and that was coming from someone who kind of knew the ropes and kind of knew where to look and that kind of thing. But I tried to manage my situation by myself first because I've, you know, I know it gets better. So I tried to do it myself. And as I was getting closer to realizing that I could not do it myself, you know, I had people around me helping me and taking care of me. You know, my parents are, I'm so happy that they're here. They just, they've only been here for a year in this city. And I mean, they have been, I don't know what I would have done if they weren't here, to be completely honest. Um, But basically, I had to do research for like three weeks to figure out what was available to me, what, you know, if I was going to get put into debt, like, because I had to do this. And I mean, 
it was it was crazy to have to do research when you're losing your mind, quote unquote. I felt like I was <laughs> losing my mind. Some people might not like that saying. But I mean, no wonder people don't ask for help. Mm-hmm. It's it's so hard and then it's so hard to worry about what other people are going to think about you, you know. I mean, even to this day, I worry that I'm very open about mental health problems and my experience with it and I love to talk to people about it they probably think I'm absolutely weird (laughs) I'm like hey you want to talk about your trauma and they're like no do you like uh yeah (laughs) um I forgot what I was saying I just thought it was it took you three weeks to even like research when you were right but oh I was saying that people worry about what people are going to think about them and even now even though I'm very open with all of this stuff you know in my in my day job I am I am a leader and I you know I manage people and so I know when I am capable of doing my job and I take my job extremely seriously but I still to this day worry that people might, you know, not hire me or think that because I have dealt with certain things that I might not be fit to be in said position or something like that. And I think a lot of people, I mean, for good reason, because people do get treated that way, mm-hmm. they they don't want to take that risk, you know? Yeah. Um and, uh, and again, some people's families or, you know, spouses or whatever might be like, you don't need to be on medication or you don't need to be in therapy. Um, and they want to try and maintain those relationships. Um, but I would say, please ask for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I was just in San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge is known as one of the most popular, you know, which is a terrible word, places in the country to... Unalive yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's been the popular term. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they talk about how, generally speaking, when people, people that have survived things like that... Which um, is insane, by the way, that there have been survivors. It is insane. Um, they've actually just, they're finishing up putting even further, um, protections on the bridge. And so for the last, I don't know how many years they've been putting this like wire netting, uh, all the way down both sides of the bridge that go out a certain amount so that if people, people might at least think twice before they do it because they're probably going to land on that. Mm. and not somewhere else um you know to think like oh i'm going to get hurt and still be alive and have to deal with that or they hope that people if they do jump and land there they might realize that that's not the decision that they actually wanted um because people that have survived things like that almost all of them say that they immediately regretted doing what they were doing Mm -hmm. Um, and that's obviously really sad and horrific because it was, you know, it's not necessary. And I know exactly what that space feels like. 
And if we can just get past that, you know, that moment, it's not like, oh, it just goes away and now everybody's happy. And, you know, it's not like, oh, I was hungry and now I ate. <laughs> yeah. I'm but, full now. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually good and everything in my life is fantastic. But if you can, if we can get people and help people past that moment, you know, we've saved somebody. They may have another moment like that. That's very common. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people really need support. And if they can't ask for help with, you know, like medical intervention or maybe even get on medication because they don't want to do that or, you know, they're scared of it or something, which I completely understand. Um, I would just wish for all of us that, you know, obviously our family as well, but that our friends would kind of allow people to talk about their feelings and stuff that's coming up for them. Mm -hmm. And maybe reassure them in some kind of way that, you know, you don't think they're crazy. And sometimes people just want to talk to be, you know, that's what a lot of therapy is. Um, Obviously coping skills and, you know, stuff like that. But just having somebody listen and be non-judgmental. It's Mm -hmm. so helpful for everyone. You don't have to have a mental health, uh, you know, diagnosis to just, want to be understood and you know we call it venting of course people like to vent (laughs) to each other and we're all just trying to get by that's what my dad says we're all doing our best yeah um I actually remember one more thing I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. uh so are there terms when you go to a hospital or if you need help that you need to say specifically or is it just because I know there's the term 5150, mm-hmm. but, um, and I'm not remembering what it is exactly. 5150 is generally there, like, that's, they're deciding that for you. That's, like, the code that they use um, within hospitals and stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, it's like they're going to, they're going to put you on a hold and put you into, you know. But there's no code that you have to say. Well, okay, so what's interesting, and this is why some people get turned away from a hospital, Mm -hmm. is, and I'm not trying to say this so that people can, like, lie or anything, but I do want someone to know this because, you know, if you're going to an ER and you say that you're suicidal and then you, you know, generally you're going to have to wait for, like, hours because you're kind of low priority, they're like, oh, we can see them, so... Technically, we're already watching them. (laughs) They're sitting in that chair over there (laughs) waiting. Um, When you're spoken to by a, you know, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they will ask you if you have a plan. And if you do not, they usually let you go. Because they do not, because they do not consider that to be real suicidal thought patterns. Oh, in terms of, like, how you're going to do it. Yes. Like, if... And they don't ask you that. They say, do... Like, they're like, do you have a... Like, how would you do it? Kind of a thing. Oh, my gosh. And it is really bizarre because you should be able to say, like, I don't know. Or, like... Or, you know, what if you were asking for help so that you didn't get to that point? So that you weren't getting to the point where you're like, here's what I'm going to do. 
Um, but I do want people to be aware of that because if you do really need help, I mean, if you need to, make something up because if you need help and you're afraid they're going to turn you away, you know, I'm sure that that's a really, that's probably something that people would not like me to say. Um, but if you need help, you need help. And especially with mental health stuff, a lot of times you're not believed. And if you know that this is what's best for you, then you should do that. Yeah. Um, wow. Thank you so much for sharing such a tough subject with me. Um, as someone who has gone like far deep into darkness before, mm -hmm. For a small period of time, I feel very thankful and lucky that it was just a small period because in that moment, I literally didn't know where or who to turn to, and I wish I knew how to reach out. Uh, I really hope this episode is able to help anyone who is out there that gets to that point and doesn't know where to turn because you're not alone, and it's cool as fuck to ask for help. It really is. <laughs> Uh, I it's, just want to say it's not cool to smoke, <laughs> but it is cool to get some help to go to therapy. Um, but yeah, I just want to mention that Allison was the one who coined the, coined the like basically. I'm keeping this as the episode title. It's cool as wait, what was because uh, he didn't say. Uh, oh, I wish I had my phone. Oh wait, I do have it because I want to say it. Like I really love the way you said it. The sunglasses emoji. Okay, asking for help is cool AF. <laughs> it is. It's 2023, guys. Almost 2024. Oh, my gosh. How long does it take for people to just help each other? <laughs> is it normal or is it even... Um, like, what if you experience a friend going through something? Mm. Are you in a place to contact the hotlines or to contact hospitals? Or It, it really depends. If someone is suicidal, I, I think it should be taken very seriously. Um, I think a lot of people write that off, especially because we throw terms around so much like oh I'm really depressed or like god I want to kill myself like I've, I've definitely heard people say it in a context that is not you know, you know what I mean like yeah I don't think they're being serious um but take it very seriously I wouldn't like rush and you know call somebody without obviously like spending some time with that person or talking to them over the phone you know like you might not be in the same city even like if they're reaching mm -hmm. out to you um I mean, I don't want to say it's up to you, but I do think that there is a time where you might be like, this is extremely serious and I'm really concerned about this person. And I do think that, you know, you should tell somebody. Oftentimes what people might do is if they have the information, they might reach out to like that person's family or, mm -hmm. you know, spouse or something. If that's, if that's kind of the life that you know, they have, or that those are people that know that person really well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, absolutely. If somebody's going, if somebody's hurting themselves or they're showing that they want to, and you're afraid to leave them alone, you know, that kind of stuff, you just, 
it's like with anything. It's like with calling the police here. You know, it's like sometimes it's not always what we think it's going to be. And honestly, what I would recommend is if they don't want to talk to someone like on the hotline or they don't want to talk to their family or anything like that and they're and they're like willing to go with you because they you know maybe do want help or something i would like drive to a hospital and go to the er with them mm. because even maybe during that drive you know maybe they will calm you know calm yeah. down or or they might be having a conversation with you or something like that like there's a little bit of space for them to be thinking about stuff obviously i would like call 911 if somebody was like in the act of hurting themselves or trying yeah. trying to you know they're on a destructive ledge path. Yeah. or something you know what i mean um but i mean yeah we it's a really tough decision and a lot of people have to make it and i really think it's better to be safe than sorry mm-hmm. you know your friend very well may be pissed at you or don't agree with what you're doing or something like that and but you want them to live yeah um actually what would you say sorry I keep like bringing up all these things uh what would you say is something you shouldn't do I think actually I'd just thought of that. What shouldn't you do for a friend who's in mental health crisis that, you know... C- correct. <laughs> <laughs> that people make a common mistake of. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself or, like, I'll speak for the experiences that I have had with, with you know, the specific uh, things that I have, um, which, to be clear so that people aren't like, what? which ones does she have? <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, I have some pretty severe uh, anxiety issues and, you know, I've had major depressive disorder, but I also have PTSD and, you know, trauma that will come up and, you know, you have like flashbacks and stuff like that. And um, I am neurodivergent on top of that. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on. Um But for me, like, I have a lot of panic attacks, and that can happen, you know, in front of a person. And a lot of times in my life, people have told me to calm down. Uh, That is a horrible thing to say to somebody that is even just upset. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like even just crying or something. Um, Telling someone that, like basically downplaying whatever it is the person is feeling, especially if someone's like hyperventilating or like, you know, just crying a lot or, or they're like curled up in a ball or something. Um, I know that people get really scared and I know it can be really off putting and stressful for people. And, you know, it's not everybody's fault that we feel that way. Like when we're, when we're met with that type of situation. Um, But yeah, really, I think the the biggest things for me is people kind of just taking you seriously and not being judgmental. I know that that's a very broad thing to say, Mm -hmm. but telling someone to stop crying or telling someone to, you know, to get over it or yeah, to get over it. 
Um, I don't want to say not to say everything's going to be fine because what's funny is sometimes that's all I want the person to say is like, mm. it's going to be fine, you know, like to, to kind of calm you down. Like, you know, doctors say that to people that are not going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, or you know what I mean? Like that's something that we say to each other to try and calm us down sometimes. And I know you can't know, but sometimes that has been a really upsetting thing when people are like, don't worry about it. You know, like you're gonna move on, you're gonna be great. Like say you lost your house or something, you know, and someone's having like a full blown depressive, you know, part of their life and stuff is spiraling and all that kind of thing. Personally, I don't feel like it's helpful for people to be like, to not just let you grieve Mm -hmm. or not let you be upset. Just being there for the person is really the best thing that you can do, in my opinion, making sure that that person's safe and that they just feel understood. You know, this might not be good advice for some other types of mental illness where, you know, someone might be manic or something. I don't want to speak on that, you know, personally, but yeah. Sounds good. So that is a lot of things that um, I guess you would say were like aspects that would make you tired. Um, Is there anything you've been doing or interested in lately that's been essential for you to thrive after going through such experiences? Um, I do yoga. Um, it's always kind of been something that I've done on and off. You know, I'll be like, I'm a yogi. And then I don't do it for like five years. <laughs> um, but for the past couple of years, I've been doing it almost every day. Um, and I even did it in the hospital. They even had a yoga mat in there. Okay. Again, I was blown away by this place. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, exercise is a huge thing. It it does um, physically make you feel better. It helps your brain to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really like tending to myself physically is also tending to myself emotionally. Um, and as you know, I'm really into VR. <laughs> really into it. Um what games do you play? <laughs> My two top games. Honestly, mostly of all I'm doing in there <laughs> is walkabout mini golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys got to try it. I know it sounds silly. It's amazing. I bought my dad an Oculus a few years ago so that when he lived back in Minnesota, we could play mini golf together. That's I so sweet. love it. I have convinced at least four people around me to buy an Oculus and get walkabout mini golf. I'm sure they it just sits in their room <laughs> or something, but <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun to be in there, especially during the pandemic. It was a lifesaver, oh, and gosh. I felt so happy to have that. It, I mean, my someone bought it for me. I had never even really thought about it. Um, I had tried VR back in like 2015 when I worked at a VFX company and it was horrible. I felt so sick (laughs) Um, and it does not do that anymore, thankfully. But so the mini golf and Beat Saber. Beat Saber, I love it. It's my jam. It's my jam. My jam of a game. Chef's kiss. Yes, chef's kiss everywhere. Um, 
I am proud to where I got skill-wise. I'm not some of those insane people on YouTube, but I really wish that I had a green screen and a PC and all that kind of stuff so that I could record myself. Oh my gosh. I want to be a gamer girl so bad now. <laughs> I've never been that, but I'd be like on Twitch or whatever it's called because I don't even know any of this stuff. <laughs> I would be on there doing Beat Saber all day. I love it. It is, it's actually like, it is meditative. Mm. I didn't think that when I started playing it, but you know, my parents are like, how are you doing this? When I like show them a video and I honestly don't know. Like there's something about it. There's obviously choreography and stuff that they put into it that has vastly improved over time. (laughs) Like some of the first ones are like, how do you expect a person to do that? That doesn't make any, you know, mm-hmm. so fast or whatever. Um, so the people obviously creating it are talented and know how to choreograph it in that way. But your my brain shuts off and it's mm. awesome. I cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> you would think that like flashing lights and things flying at you at high speed in a way that's like, be accurate about it. It's <laughs> like really stressful, but it is not. Yeah. I, I just, I just zen out. It's amazing. <laughs> Highly recommend those two games, guys. Don't get, don't get caught up on the fact that Mark Zuckerberg purchased Oculus because he did not invent it. Um, and also I, I hear that there's other ones now. I hear there's PlayStation VR and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So I've done the PlayStation VR um, at my brother's place, and there's this game where you're like an archer and you're um, going through a whole like you have to climb up walls, you have to, like cliff faces and all this stuff, and it's uh, it's really funny because I've only done it once. Of course, you know you're figuring it out like. And I keep wanting to go forward Mm -hmm. or, like, (laughs) it's just, um, and then, uh, the whole, like, pulling yourself up and stuff is so fascinating or even, like, moving forward, moving back, like, pulling, um, the bow and everything. Uh, and then after, like, I feel like you get around the 30 minute mark, especially if it's your first time playing and you're like, oh, I need to... Like, I'm nauseous now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they're those types of games, too. Like, I think what makes people nauseous, and it makes complete sense to me, is that if you're, like... Okay, so, for example, when they put people in, like, a roller coaster simulator... Oh, yeah. Like, your body's not moving, but the input to your brain, like, the imagery, is showing something moving, and it it's confusing like it makes you feel like what is happening and it makes you feel really out of it and I think that's what makes people like dizzy and nauseous and stuff like that yeah it throws your balance off because that's what like now that you're talking about it that's what happened is um when you move forward in the game you're just moving your arms right but then you're like zooming like towards the (laughs) wall face and I'm just like oh my gosh like I'm like I had my brother stood next to me and made sure to like catch me a couple yeah. times because so i was just like i this is dangerous <laughs> yeah and i know so there actually is a thing that people can buy it's probably like 
a lot. Way <laughs> too expensive. I don't I don't want to guess, but and you know, they're basically they look so stupid, but I would totally use one is they allow you to like walk and stuff. It's almost like a self-propelled like treadmill type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um but you're like strapped in and it's a circle and so you can like turn fully around and you can like run and you can walk and stuff like that. And so I think for those types of games that like really helps people probably feel less weird and they just are having fun with it. There's videos yeah. of people doing it and it's so funny. <laughs> I have to say that watching people do VR, we all look stupid. Like we look so <laughs> stupid. I mean, I know when I was like chugging my arms to do the run, I was like, this is Dumb. Yeah, I mean, like, I've tried to videotape myself playing Beat Saber, and I was like, no one's ever going to see that. Like, that is so dumb. I'm like, if only you could see how cool I look inside. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, is there anything else recently or in the past couple years that really has you excited or passionate? Do you feel like? Hmm. Yeah. Past year has been pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I, I mean, this is the most cliche thing and it's also completely not what you said. I'm really looking forward to starting a new year. Um, that's something recently to be. Yeah. About. I, I mean, this year was hard for me immensely, but it was also really hard for most of the people that I know. Like it was, I thought by the time we got to 2023, things were improving from the last few years, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be, I'm going to be starting kind of a new life. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's going to be sad and kind of, and kind of scary. I'm kind of over the scared part now. I'm just annoyed. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's the cliche. It's like a fresh start. Mm-hmm. And I'm also just, like, looking forward to it being done and started, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, just yeah. kind of this transition that I'm personally going through. Um, I'm looking forward to it being in the next segment, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Definitely. Um, I'm also really thankful that all of L.A. wasn't on fire this year. Yeah. I think it's the first year in a while. I mean, it's, we had... Nobody cares about this. People are shutting the podcast off right now. Um, <laughs> people are like, You're, people are always talking about L.A. on podcasts. Um, but it rains so much in the winter. Like, I think we had the most rain... And oh, snow, like, ever. That's right. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I am not a firefighter. I don't know what happened. Oh, you know what else, though? Okay, so this was interesting was, um, actually, I know for a fact, because I was, uh, I visited the fire tower in Big Bear mm. in August. Um, because you can go up to... I was going to say, did you climb it? Yeah. And so, and, and if they're not busy, they'll, like, talk to you and kind of explain what they do. But when we were talking to them, they were like, oh, we, there was a fire that started happening up in Big Bear. But what they really focused on this year was they were like, um, 
any sign of a smoke or anything, they try to get to it as fast as possible, which I, that sounds like, oh, they should have been doing that anyway. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, I thought that was your job. <laughs> but I think they were just way more diligent about it. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think they had more people stationed in the lookouts mm-hmm. to really, like, and then get relay and really figure out where things are and then try their best to, like, get a faster response. Because they were like, we really don't want spreading wildfires this year. So um, This year's going to be different, guys. This, this year's going to be different. Okay, but, we got it. We got it. So I think it was a combination of like, yes, we did have the most rainfall we've ever had. But also, I I think just because of these previous years, they're like, okay, we really need to up our yeah, game. Yeah, they were so bad. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean. <sighs> it's pretty scary. I mean, we, the we all know it's going to continue. The gender reveal fire was like. I know insane i like passed by that when it started yeah it uh like it was it was i saw the smoking area and i remember i was just like what is that and then like an hour later that fire being on the news and i was like oh i passed by that like smoke pile that is now decimating that entire like area um fun stuff fun (laughs) hope their baby's happy (laughs) honestly um okay i do have one thing that i think really helped me this year oh okay um i mean vr kind of goes into it even though i've been doing that for a couple years now but i never played video games really Mm -hmm. um not because i didn't want to but my parents refused to let me have a gaming system (laughs) they're like you're gonna be a you're gonna be a person that goes outside um (laughs) But I have had access to a PlayStation and, you know, a Nintendo Switch. And I, I just delved in. I, just, I don't know if that's the right word. I just, like, I just dived in. And I think I always used to imagine that most games, because of the ones that are, like, advertised and stuff, were you know, like, violent and stressful and, you know, you have to beat a boss and, like, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not looking for more stress in my life, honestly. That's yeah. why I don't watch scary movies. Um, but there are some absolutely amazing, beautifully made, like, I want to go ha- shake hands with all the artists that made it. Um and the two in particular, I mean, this one I think obviously a lot of people know about and played was Stray mm-hmm. with the cat. I mean, you are a cat. That's what it is. And you get to go around. And there's a little bit of stress in that game, but the art is insane. I can't, mm. I want to be in that game in VR is what I'm, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and the other one was called Season, A Letter to the Future, I believe it's called. And you're a girl on a bike, and you're going through, and you're making a journal, and you're taking pictures, and you're talking to people, and you're, like, recording sounds and stuff, and highly recommend. Mm. Absolutely beautiful. Please pay those people that made that game, because, wow. Nice. Wowza. In the vein of funsies, is there a random animal fact you can tell me? Yes, there is. Ooh, let's hear it. Okay, I'm probably going to say the name wrong, but 
there's a bird. I think it's called a kararoo. Um, and it's in New Zealand. It's also known as a wood pigeon. <laughs> and in the summertime, they eat like this fruit off of a tree. And if the fruit is ripe and the and it's like hot out, they ferment. And so the birds get drunk. And apparently like it's a big thing. Like it happens a lot. And they like I mean they kind of look not good. Like they, they're like <laughs> they're like falling out of trees. Oh my god. And like rolling around on the ground because they're just straight up intoxicated. And apparently, like, they have little hospitals you can bring them to. <laughs> what? I mean, let's be honest. New Zealand is the best, one of the best countries in the world. Like, yeah, they're like, we care for everyone, <laughs> including the drunk birds. <laughs> and, yeah, so I think there's kind of, like, a season for it. And then, like, the government or the city or whatever, like, asks people to be aware of it. Like, because if they're, if they, like fall in the street or something like don't don't hit the oh my the drunk kararoo or how i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to say it but it's super cute apparently i don't know if you guys saw the um john oliver if anyone watches that um recently they brought to light that in new zealand they do like a a bird of the year oh every year uh-huh um and so they were trying to get everybody to vote for a specific bird. But apparently this kararoo was the bird of the year in, like, 2018 or 2019. Oh, my gosh. So I think people like the drunk wood pigeon. <laughs> um, but I just saw a video of it for the first time, and I was like, that's a fact I got to give to Sam. <laughs> um, Thank you. Because I don't know how many other, like, it sounds like that's specifically a bir- the bird that does that. I don't know why. At least maybe in New Zealand or in that region or yeah, something. Yeah. It makes me think of koalas, how they're always just poisoning themselves. And it's like... I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> but but it's like necessary in their diet. So yeah. I wonder if it's the same with this wood pigeon. I guess things down there are just being a little strange. <laughs> when you're you, stuck on an island, Have you, know? you ever heard a koala... Oh, yeah. Like, yell? Yeah. Wow. A yes. There are no words. They're so cute, though. Like it's, I've held one. I really wanted to. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it at that for those that know me. But it pooped right before I held it, so like oh. in the picture, it looks strange. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like smiling because I'm so happy. But at the same time, I'm like, damn. Uh, even though it's like logic is that if it pooped, it's probably not gonna. It's poop probably again not gonna right poop now. again. <laughs> yeah, this is the best time to hold it, actually. <laughs> But I'm still like, uh, like leaning back. <laughs> I never looked, I, my back never looked straighter <laughs> than in that photo. Could be a good thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a normal reaction. <laughs> As part of the show, I'd like to pull out a tarot card for the episode. Because who knows, maybe you or a listener needs to hear it. Uh, I could also just like I need to hear it. (laughs) Let's bring it. Oh, um, a couple. No, that's not. We're not going to count that. Um, (laughs) So I'm just going to shuffle, and you're going to tell me when to stop. Um, stop. Okay. Aw. (laughs) What is it? You got the nine of swords. Um, what does that mean? 
I always go to Sam if I have a tarot question. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> we can't both be asking it. So um, the description for this one, because I'm using my universal fantasy tarot deck. Yes, it's um, it's nice. Uh, like <laughs> shadows, the demons inside us always seem larger, more threatening than they really are. That really sounds like mental health. <laughs> uh, ding, ding, ding. Yes, it does. <laughs> so Thank you, Tarot. Thank you, Tarot. Um, and, I mean, just, like, to have that positive spin on that where, um, like we talked about, um, taking it minute by minute, mm-hmm. I think the things you suggested were so important to hear because – Yes, what's in our mind is going to be amplified. It's going to be intense uh, more than what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And taking that time minute by minute, day by day, moment to moment, is really going to help you get through those, like... um, Yeah, just the events, basically, that are happening. And I mean, again, I think I said this before, everyone... You do not have to identify with having some kind of, you know, mental health problem or something. We all, you know, the word anxiety and the word depression get thrown around a lot. Yeah. Um, I do believe, I, I mean, I'm biased and I'm guessing, <laughs> so I apologize if nobody feels this way, but I believe all of us, like all humans, deal with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um is I do wish people knew that, you know, um, there are extreme versions of that <laughs> that some people deal with. Yeah. Um, same thing with when we say, uh, I'm obsessed with that, or like, I have OCD. Mm-hmm. And that gets thrown around a lot, too. But anyway, sorry, I don't know where I was going with that. But, uh, but I think that's important to state is that, you know... Even if you're not diagnosed, even if you don't feel like, oh, that's not me. That's that can never happen to me. I just like never felt that. But at some point, someone's going to feel an intense emotions, whether it's right. Yeah. Like even grief. Yeah. I mean, especially with what's going on in the world today, Mm -hmm. people are feeling so many things like and if this can help you just say, okay, if I ever get to that point. Of feeling that way or if I like um if even if you feel it now or whatever the case even if you've never felt it before or you say that you like claim to say that you've never felt it at least you can have um especially with people like us who felt it mm-hmm. here are some tips like yeah. here are things to hold in your back pocket mm-hmm. when it does happen so just, yeah and not everything's yeah. gonna work you know it's like we don't all like the same food but they might overlap a little bit. <laughs> so if there's one thing that somebody suggested that does work for you, then that's amazing. Yeah. But as you said earlier, like, you need to know what your resources are. Mm-hmm. And this country is trash at that. <laughs> well, trash at mental health. Honestly, though, I mean, like, yes, but at the same time, when you consider other countries mm-hmm. and how much... Like, probably 90% of the world doesn't even believe in mental health. Yeah. It's like, 
We've taken a first step. <laughs> is all I'm gonna say. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of Maria Bamford. Oh yeah. But um, I'm very proud because we're both from the same hometown, and she's a huge advocate for mental health. And she she just came out with a new book this year mm-hmm. called Yes, I'll Join Your Cult. <laughs> Um, and I highly rec- I mean, I highly recommend it to everybody because it's hilarious and I love her and I want her to have money, <laughs> pay her, but she, she talks a lot. The whole thing is, you know, about mental health basically. Mm. Um, and she may have more insight than me. I am not a licensed therapist. I am just a person. You're a person with experience. And I think that's so helpful, which is why I'm so thankful that you're on here. I'm Uh thankful for you. Oh, my God. I'm thankful for you. Thank you so much, Allison, for being here and talking with me. If you or someone you know is having a crisis, what resource can they go to and reach? So the National Suicide Hotline is 988. You can call that, but you can also text it and someone will respond to you. Sometimes there's a wait. Uh, There's also another crisis line, and you can text the word HOME to 741741. And there are also many other options available, you know, maybe even just in your city specifically. Well, sadly, we are at the end. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow or subscribe. You can also follow Tired and Thriving on Instagram at Tired and Thriving, all one word. There you can reach out, give feedback, or maybe let me know how you've been uniquely thriving. You can also reach out through email at tiredandthriving at gmail.com. Thank you again, and I hope you all have a thriving week. See you next time.